the unofficial UPAN podcast. My name is Paulo Bautista, and I'm your host. So, first off, the elephant in the room. Uh, apologies for missing the episode two weeks ago. Uh, just a lot of logistical issues going on on my end. I moved into a new apartment, um, and uh, some production issues in terms of finding time to edit the show. But I think we, we're in a good place now, so hopefully our normal, regularly produced schedule should be uh, consistent from here on. Um, some other housekeeping things before I get to the episode. Um, UPAN is having our alumni weekend uh, happy hour at the Penn Women's Center on May 12th. That is the Saturday of alumni weekend 2018 uh, at 5 p.m. So hope to see you there. Um, also, thanks to everyone who came out to our happy hours on uh, in California uh, in the month of May, March. Um, great to see you guys out there. Hope to see you guys in our future events. And finally, also congratulations to David Tai, who won the UPAN Student Leadership Award um, earlier this month. Uh, we're hoping to get David on for a future podcast. I won't talk about what he's done too much, but let's just say he's done a lot of work for the first generation low income community at Penn. All right, to the episode at hand. So, kind of as you know, an apology for uh, delaying a week uh, or, or a couple weeks for for this new episode. Uh, this one's an extra long one. Uh, we were talking with Mel Mariano, um, who graduated from nursing class of 2016. Uh, Mel is actually uh, someone who I consider to be like a little sister. Uh, she was involved in the Penn Philippine Association uh, with me. Um, she's the first person from PPA who, who's on, been on this show. So we got to catch up a lot uh, on, on, on good old times. But in addition to that, Mel also was involved with the uh, – she, she actually received the Presidential Engagement Prize in 2016 to work on uh, health services uh, provided through the Free Library of Philadelphia, um, courtesy of a Gutman. So um, we talked a little bit about that, as well as other involvements on campus, um, being president of the Alpha Kappa Delta Phi sorority, um, being a poly facilitator, um, as well as uh, being a dancer on Strictly Funk, and how that compared to her time dancing before she got to Penn. So again, this is a bit of a juicier, meatier episode, a lot more content in here, but uh, Mel's, you know, super great person, uh, glad to be able to catch up with her. And uh, without further ado, here's the episode. Catch you guys on the flip side. Thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. It's not only been a while since you know since you'll be a first nursing student or a graduate to be on the podcast, but it's also been a while since I've seen you as a friend. So thanks for coming in for a chat. Mm-hmm. The first time I've been in the city in a while. I think now that I think about it, it's been like about more than half a year. I think. Oh wow! Okay. So it's it's been quite a while. Even though I live well, my parents live like twenty minutes away. All right, that's a pretty good transition. So you know, I guess before we talk about your time at Penn, I want to talk about you know where you came from before Penn. So your family did grew up in North Jersey um, so you know what was what was it like growing up you know in, in North Jersey so I guess I'm assuming you're both your parents are Filipino right yeah. so yeah, like growing up a Filipino family like what did your parents do what was life like I guess yeah, yeah. Um, so I grew up with the two fully Filipino parents um, my dad actually raised me for the most part my mom was the like quote unquote traditional breadwinner uh, she was working most of the hours and then my dad took care of the house took care of us as kids um, and 
it was I will I do have to I think make the distinction that I grew up in like a Filipino American family and yeah. not a Filipino family. Fair enough. Um, I feel like and like a part of that was like they didn't teach me Tagalog because they didn't want me to have an accent. Okay. Um, like sort of that kind of stuff. So I feel like I have to make that sort of uh, distinction. But um, growing up, growing up was was good. Um, I think I was, I'm the youngest. Okay. Uh, Out of how many? I have an older brother and older sister. Okay. So I'm the youngest of three, and so that came with its own sort of like perform perform pressure like you like had your brother and your sister before yeah. you there's no reason for you to not be successful kind of thing yeah i mean i i'm the elder i'm the eldest kuya <laughs> in the family so i got away i, I know i got away like a lot of stuff that my younger siblings also like two other younger siblings didn't yeah. get, get didn't get away with and yeah so you kind of had your path before them um and what did you, what did your mom do <laughs> my mom was a nurse in okay. the operating room fair enough okay and my father was a surgical technician Okay, cool. Um, so, you know, I guess that's really interesting. You made a distinction between like Filipino, Filipino American. Um, why, why, like, what else? I guess you think would make helps make that distinction between the two, and why is it so important to to distinguish between that? Um, so, I mean, a part of it is that like my family wasn't necessarily as traditional in terms of like showing respect to elders so I mean you know this yeah maybe not a lot of people the whole like blessing your elders yeah 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 um so that basically means like acknowledging them when they come in by like putting your forehead to your hand yeah. their hand to your forehead so um I used to do that when I was really really young but as I got older it sort of like went by the wayside mm -hmm. um and I think that was a result of, of being in America not in the Philippines and I actually went back home this past December okay. like to Philippines um, and they do it like every time they come right. home from work every time every day they come every time you enter the room with like yeah. your Lola right yeah, yeah 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 like and it's like an everyday thing like and I like did it maybe for two two or three years that I can remember and then after that like I stopped so I think that part of it like the sure sure respect to your elders is something along with other traditions that are we hadn't kept up because we were Filipino American and not Filipino. Um, and then I also, I mentioned very briefly, like, my parents didn't teach me Tagalog yeah. because they didn't want me to have an accent, which would, like, preclude me from, you know, like, being fully American. They were afraid I was going to get made fun of. They were afraid I wouldn't be able to learn English for, like, at all. So um, that definitely is a distinction that, like, obviously in, like, my cousins in the Philippines, like, they know how to speak both. Um, I do not know. I, I can understand, but I, I, yeah. I do not know how to converse <laughs> um, or respond at least in Tagalog. So that's the distinction. Um, and then there are all these just sort of like small Filipino American tidbits, like being a dancer, like right. being in a dance community. Being in a dance community is very. Um, 
very common. Especially in the Jersey scene, right? Yeah, that's a pretty interesting, I guess, like, because obviously I, I'm also Filipino, so I grew up. Uh, I don't like obviously like I would my fantasy on being Filipino American and like being like the mix of two. But I guess like when I was, you know, in high school and like and younger I never actually thought about like, oh, I'm Filipino which is distinct from being Filipino American and maybe that's because I grew up, you know, a couple years in the Philippines, but like as like this is I guess uh, and I don't I don't know if everyone like I guess tries to make that distinction or not. Mm -hmm. Um I say I, I didn't really make that distinction until like maybe a couple years into going to Penn. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, like, I didn't go to the Philippines enough to make that contrast when I yeah. was, like, in high school and middle school. But I think, like, going to Penn and then interacting with people who did grow up, live in the Philippines and seeing, like, like they don't know how to line dance. Like, what the heck? Like, yeah. um, so, like, just, like, those small things that I started to took for granted and I was like, oh, that's, like, a Filipino-American thing and not necessarily a Filipino thing. So, um, I think, like, going to Penn is when I made the distinction but had, but sort of, like, retroactively identified that Filipino and Filipino-American were very distinct. Right, it's like hindsight's twenty twenty. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, um, so, you know, what kind of kid were you in high school? Were you like a straight-A nerd or were you like a rebel or what? I was like, I was very, very quiet. I wouldn't say I was a nerd though because yeah. I was not like, I was not like study 100% all yeah. the time type of thing. Dance took the priority for me most of the time. Okay. Um, so I did not study as much as I was supposed to. Enough, right? Enough to Obviously get into got, pen, yeah. I guess. But um, I think I was more, um, yeah, I was just, I was very quiet. I was to myself. Yeah. I um, and when I did interact, I mostly interacted with friends outside of high school versus okay. in high school. So, okay. I mean, like a, <laughs> I don't want to use the word loner. I, I had, I was very particular about who I spent my time with right. in okay. high school. So. Fair enough. So, and then, and then what, what other things were you like interested in studying, like in school, anything in particular or any extracurricular? I'm obviously you mentioned that. Was there, was there anything else before we kind of dive into that dance bit a little bit? Yeah. Um, so I actually graduated from the Academy of Business and Finance. Okay. <laughs> Wait, and you didn't end up going to Warden? What? No, I know, I know. So initially I applied to Penn thinking I'd do the healthcare management yeah. thing, but I was like, nope, business is not for me. Okay. Um, I initially wanted to be a real estate, go into real estate. <laughs> um, so, that obviously didn't What could have been? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, all right, so yeah, so you, you've, you've kind of mentioned that, you know, you were part of the dance team. Um, I believe it was Rhythmology Juniors. Yep. Um, and, and for those of people who are listening who don't know, like, Jersey has, like, a really strong, like, hip-hop dance community. Uh, we've talked to, in the previous episode, Ramita, who kind of uh, was kind of, like, more like the classical, like, contemporary, like, dance circuit, but there's, like, a completely different competitive scene for, like, hip-hop choreography team. So why don't you describe, like, what that, what that scene's like a little bit, you know? Sure. Um... It is definitely um, <laughs> it is a very widespread. I'd say it's a, like a New York, New Jersey. Um, they refer to it as urban dance, um, yeah. and I think that's mostly to 
this is a distinction I, I make also is that like urban dance is very different from hip hop dance because hip hop dance is sort of like rooted in like, like a, a street historical style. Right. Yeah. So I, like, so I, I did like big dancing and popping right. in, in yeah, pen. Yeah, yeah. Then, so I'm, I'm, I guess that would be like more hip hop and then urban arts yeah. would be more like the studio choreography that you That's see right. YouTube videos. Yeah. So yeah, that is a distinction. I guess most people don't make that distinction. <laughs> um, so I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something you wouldn't know unless you were actually like in the dance. Yeah. Whatever. But anyway, so there's this huge, huge, huge urban dance community in New York, New Jersey. Um, basically, it's like there are, I'd say, like five or six competitions between like all these teams that each team usually goes to. Each team usually goes to about like yeah, five or six yeah. competitions, but there are like maybe like 10 to 20 competitions overall. Um, and so um, each of these competitions, they fly in world renowned choreographers like uh, from California. So like Sora Yang, Ben Martin, Keone Mari. Mari at some point. Yeah, so they fly in these like really well established choreographers. So it's like legitimate like competition yeah. being judged by someone who's an expert. And it also probably teaches like a workshop or something. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they'll teach a workshop beforehand and uh, the competitions consist of sort of like five or six one, 30 second to one minute pieces and it's, it's a very very intense preparation period before the competition uh -huh. um, which is something different than what I experienced at Penn but yeah. um, it's for each of those 30 second and one minute pieces you have to one you have to audition for the group you're part of then you have to audition for the pieces to be in the set then you have to audition for the place in the pieces so like, you're going to be in the front yeah. you're going to be in the center you're going to be in the back or the side um, all depends on your performance so the conference like the urban dance competition is very perform oops sorry very performance based um, and very uh, very stay on your toes or else you'll fall behind kind interesting of so how did you get into like uh, you know doing urban arts dance I guess because um, I don't I was it like your family or friends or like how did you get into it mm -hmm. so dance is very ingrained in being and I don't know this is one of the ones where I don't know if it's a Filipino thing or a Filipino American thing um, but basically when you're like three four you're encouraged to learn how to dance yeah. so everyone goes through like when you're like five or six your parents put you through like ballet modern jazz Interesting. Okay. and I like I think like most most of my friends at least in mm -hmm. the neighborhood I grew up in took like at least a year of each of those yeah. I took maybe two years <laughs> okay. um, but you always start it like there's always like a little bit of dance in you from the beginning mm -hmm. and then and then you have cotillions um, yeah. which is kind of similar to a quinceanera yeah. or something yeah, and so in those I've seen the picture smell. Yeah, <laughs> um, but like you have all all of your friends have them, right? So right. those cotillions, you perform like three um, ballroom dance pieces. So like either Latin or standard. So it's like waltz, salsa, samba, cha cha. Like, and I did all of that from like twelve to like. 
18. It's like yeah. I did six years of just like cotillions. Because it's not even just like your cotillion, it's you and other people's right. cotillions. Mm -hmm. Like I had my sisters, I had my cousins, I had my friends, I had my friend, little friend, my sister's friend. Like it was so I think overall I maybe did like 10 cotillions. And oh, that's wow. like not normal. Yeah. Like, that is pretty standard. Wow. And so I started ballroom dancing and then eventually um, my sister got into like the urban dance slash hip-hop space because the studio <laughs> that choreographed some of the cotillions also did okay. hip-hop and urban dance so she started and then she was like oh you should take classes with me because it's kind of weird so I started taking classes with her she did more years than I did because I stopped after a while and she was like hey like you should join this junior team uh, like team that's she was part of the older one right so like the the competition set was like a right. adult version and like a junior version mm -hmm. varsity and so, so on so they were like they were rhythmology company we were rhythmology junior okay so she was the one who eventually brought me into the particular like rhythm junior space Okay, um, how long were you, like, how, how much time during a week would you spend, like, doing dance, I guess? Like, on the books? Uh, Both, both on and off the books. <laughs> like, rehearsals, we had uh, five hours of rehearsal a week, wow, okay. which wasn't, like, terrible. Some people do, like, 10 and 20 hours, which mm -hmm. I did not do. Um, but like I said, you had to audition for to be put in a piece and then to fight almost for your place in the piece. Um, and so then I would practice maybe like two hours every day. Wow. One to two hours every day. And whether that meant like just playing the music and like mark, marking it, like doing it halfway, or if it meant like standing in a mirror and like doing the piece over and over again, varied. But I'd say like one to two hours every day because I wanted to be in the piece or wanted to be in a good place. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it was pretty intense off the books, off the off the numbers, I suppose. Right. So I guess like. What, what's curious to me, so obviously, like, so this is, I, I feel this is probably something very particular to, like, the Filipino scene in New Jersey, because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, there were some cotillions why I grew up in Florida, um, for the most part, I was living in the States, but, like, uh, like, the hip-hop urban art scene isn't as developed there, I guess, as opposed to, like, maybe it's the proximity to New York that might have some influence in there, so, um, that's, that's super, like, interesting to get that insight. Um, what, what do you think you got out of, like, all those years of just doing dance, outside from my love of dance in general? Yeah. Yeah, um, I think it's, uh, I think first and foremost I've learned like to respect humility when I see it. Yeah. Um, I think when we would have a lot of teachers come in and when they sort of came in thinking that they knew everything and thinking that they had all the knowledge and they were giving it to you uh, was much less effective than a teacher who came in and said, hey, I'm still working on myself, but this is what I've learned so far and I want to share that with you, not give it to you. It's not mine. I'm not being proprietary about it. Like just that this is something that's out there and what I've learned and I, I'm i giving it to you as like a way that you can also join me on this journey of improvement. Um, so yeah, I think one of the biggest things I've learned is to like respect humility when I see it. Um, and then I think aside from that, just like um, learning how much like a 
I don't know. I don't want to call it like a hobby, but like a passion. A passion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and like people talk of passion projects all the time, but like how much it really, really takes. Like it doesn't just take the hours that you're in the studio. It takes the one or two hours every day to just think about the piece. It takes the one or two hours to actually get up and do the piece in front of the mirror. Um, and then like when you're not in the middle of studying, it means like playing the song just to make sure you didn't forget it, running the piece real quick, and then going back to studying. So like. It takes up a lot of like schedule time and a lot of like mind time and like you have to like live it. You can't just like do it. You have to live it. Almost. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And that is something that dance has taught me is that it's not like this set amount of hours for a set amount of time, and a set amount of in a set place. Mm -hmm. Like it's to be successful, it has to go like way beyond that. So no, from what I know about you, that's definitely carried through. Like being very humble and staring. <laughs> Stuff and also just like putting in the hard work. That's definitely something I know that you've done. So, um, um, all right. So, and obviously you danced at Penn. We'll get to that in a little bit. But before we get that, uh, one question is like, what made you decide to apply to Penn? And um, and I guess nursing. Obviously, your mom was a nurse. I'm guessing that's like a big influence there. But what led you to apply to Penn and then ultimately accept to come to Penn over anywhere else you might have applied? Um, like I mentioned, I was really into business and finance. Yeah. And I really want to go to real estate. <laughs> um, um, what 18-year-old even, oh, I don't know, that was weird. Anyway, um, and I, because my mom was a nurse, that's actually why I didn't want to go into nursing. Okay. Um, but I was like, so I have these four years of business and finance, but I also feel like real estate's too volatile. So my mom, because she was nice, she yeah. convinced me like, oh, healthcare is safe. Didn't you, you come in like 2008? Yeah. Like right before the financial uh -huh. crisis? Mm -hmm, so. Mm -hmm. so like, yeah. So I was in high school like 2008, 2012. So it was like, of course, like everything went to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So I was like, okay, what's the best way to combine both my four years here, but also like what my consider what my mom said, say yeah. healthcare is safe, quote unquote. Um, so I initially decided to apply to them because they have a healthcare management okay. program. So that was like you went to school for nursing and you also dual degree in Wharton. Yeah. And so like it made sense. Um, and then, so I applied for that dual degree, but I decided ultimately not to do the dual degree okay. because at the end of my senior year, I was like, I do not have the business personality. Like, to me, it felt like I, <laughs> I didn't have that, like, go-getter, like, ready to sell myself at any moment, at any time. Like, I didn't, yeah. it didn't feel like I, I had that in me. Um, so I was like, okay, I think nursing is the way to go. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, like, since then, I have definitely, definitely, definitely made the right choice going into nursing, yeah. which I guess we'll talk about at some point. But. Yeah, and then Penn specifically, though, like, what, what do you, I mean, obviously it's the healthcare management, what, and you accepted Penn over any other place, why, why Oh, Penn? yeah, so um, Penn's, Penn is the only Ivy with an undergrad nursing program, okay. um, so there was that, and on top of that, it was an excellent, like, nursing program. Okay. Um, like, it was, I don't know what undergrad is, number two, number three, something like that. Yeah. Um, and my parents, 
Penn also thought like the resources that Penn had um, would bring me to places that the alternative was a small state college yeah. um, that I lived near. And they were like, we're afraid you're going to get, well, they didn't say that. I was afraid I was going to get stuck at home and that I was going to get stuck sort of in the way that everyone else did. They went all to the same college, they did the same thing, and I, something in me was like a... You want to get out of town. Get yeah, out yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like this like fire underbelly, I need to do more. Like I okay. feel like I need to do more. Being very driven, right? I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so and I felt like Penn would cultivate that more than my state school. So okay. ultimately I decided Penn, even though it was more expensive, that like in the end it would be worth it. Okay. So a combination of resources and that push to like push, right? Like Penn challenges you all the time. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so speaking of that, so let's just hop into your time at Penn. So obviously, graduated nursing class of 2016. I've interviewed a lot of 2016 people so far. I know, I But in any case, um, and and obviously, uh, the nursing life is pretty unique within for the undergrad program compared to like other um, other programs like, you know, Warden or the engineering or, or the college. But, like, we have classes, and but then like, I as far as I know, like you guys you and then there are some classes in the, in the other schools where you go out into the city but it's part of the curriculum for the nursing students to go and do rotation so why don't you describe like the general I guess four year track just since this, you're the first nursing student we have yeah sure um, so that first the first year and a half of the nursing curriculum is didactic straight like just classes lectures same as everyone else starting second semester sophomore year we have clinical rotations that um, you're required so that first semester it's like one six hour on top of the regular three to four credit load or whatever it is <laughs> three to six and we're doing three to six credit load um, so we have that six hour block where we go into the hospital we practice the skills that we learn um, in lab so <laughs> I guess that also was a part of it is we had the didactic which is like the three four CUs and we had um, a lab portion of it which was we would go in for two three hours in the nursing simulation lab practice whatever skills that we were taught there and then go to that six hour shift uh, to practice whatever we learned in the sim lab so um, I think hours wise it was definitely like very very taxing compared to the other schools yeah you you guys like were waking up at like five or four in the morning uh. yeah and yeah so like depending most clinicals started at uh, seven which really meant they started at 6 30 which meant you had to wake up at 5 30 to be on time yeah, <laughs> and then like sometimes it'll be on the. I know there's some some that were on like Saturdays or something, yeah. right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you're unlucky, the registration system would put you into a weekend one. So that would mean on Friday night you go to bed by 10, 11, wake up at 5:30, spend half your Saturday gone. It'd be just gone. Yeah. So that's like time spent with friends, time studying, time sleeping, all gone. <laughs> um, so it was tough because. It was just like hours are so so much and then what they don't talk about is sort of the emotional burden that comes with actually taking care of patients mm -hmm. during that six hour shift. Like the sim lab we have time 
women that hunt dummies, but that six-hour shift is is with real people, and so you're dealing with people who have to make like end-of-life choices. You deal with people wow. whose families are like barking down your neck, saying like they need this, they need this, and like you're just a nursing student, so you're not right. even their and nurse. So. You said this is like after like maybe like sophomore year or so, like you start doing that. Yeah. So it's probably like you're like what like 19, 20 years old, right? right? Yeah. And, and trying like, to figure that out. You're trying to figure out yourself, and you're trying to figure out the world around you. So like, and then you have these people who have like gone through surgery or had five or six births and your births, and you're like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, um, so that was the second half of the rotations that people don't really talk about is that like you're tired, yes, because of the hours, but you're also tired because you've just dealt with the most vulnerable people in the hospital. Like it's right. <laughs> um, so and so sophomore year we have one six hour junior and senior year we have two six hours and at some point we have you throw in there like a one twelve hour a week. So wow. yeah, to be awake for twelve hours and then after clinical to go back to like extracurriculars, dance rehearsals, trying to study and trying to do your coursework. Like, I'm like talking about it now. I have no idea how you even did it. <laughs> right. I mean, huge respect not only to you, but to like every single nursing student who made it through. Yeah. There. And like so many people make it through. So, but I don't like, they expect you to work almost as basically a functioning adult. Yeah. Like a part time functioning adult while also being an undergrad student. Yeah. So, that time in the hospital versus that time on campus. Like, I don't know, you just sort of have to <laughs> find a way to balance it, but the, um, the hours and the emotional labor that come with nursing are what make it very, very, are what made it very difficult for me at least, um, and different from the other majors. So, so what, what do you think, um, did you say it made it very difficult, How, what kind of, not advice for I guess any current nursing students who might be listening, like what advice would you have to them I guess, like yeah. to, to deal with um, I think the first one that always comes to mind is that like it's worth it um, for all the hours and loss of sleep and all of that. That it's um, at the end of the day you are touching someone's life in a way that no one else can touch, um, and so it is worth it. Um, and maybe the second thing I would tell them is that. Um, know that nursing school is also very different than nursing practice okay. um, and that there's solace in knowing that like all the training stuff that you do in sim yes it's important but also like don't feel like it's the end of the world if you can't do it um, I know so many other so many of my friends and so many of like my classmates have taken extra years extra semesters and they have turned out that makes them no less of a nurse than the people who graduate Right. So, um, yeah, so that it is, it is very, very worth it, and that it is um, that the real world is is different from the nursing school world. So, right. um, yeah, those are sort of the two things that I would, I would lend them. All right, sounds good. Um, and then, so it's slightly not lighter, I guess. What were some of your favorite nursing classes, or just classes in general, I guess? Or any professors? you like like sat out I guess from your four years at Canada. Yeah. Um, so 
my favorite nursing class, and this probably doesn't come as a surprise, was um, the community health nursing class. Um, that was senior year, first semester senior year. We were each assigned two community community health rotations. So I was in the free library doing health education and programs for the first half, and then the second half I was doing home health. And I think there's something so special about seeing someone's health right where they are. In the hospital, it's such this. In the hospital, you see their healthcare in such like an insular way. Like it's the worst of the worst. It's it's in a very sterile environment. Yeah, and you have all the resources already there. It's very sterile. Like they're in the worst kind of pain. Like it's just so different. In the in the community, you're like thinking like it just requires so much more creativity. And to me, community health is really where. Nursing becomes both an art and a science okay. because you're thinking of you're still thinking of those disease processes, right? Like this person has diabetes, what does that mean? Um, this person has heart failure, what does that mean? But at the same time, you're trying to think like, all right, this person doesn't like eating healthy food. What other ways can I get around that? Like the creative problem art. solving. Though. Yeah, well, like I don't know, it's problem solving, but like not in a traditional. Not like a very formulaic way. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's people, right? You're dealing with people who live and, like, come from a different place than you do. So, like, you can't, right, like, in the hospital, it's like, oh, let's get more labs, let's get more tests, um, and let's do a physical assessment and go from there. That's formulaic problem solving, right, yeah. in the hospital. The community, it's like, this person doesn't want to eat healthy. Do they have a sister or um, a brother that can take care of them and cook for them? Um, do they want to exercise? Oh, they have problems with their legs. Oh, do they can get them an arm exercise? In like, it just goes. It can go so many directions, and that's why I love community health because it's like you have no idea what you're gonna get thrown at, and and there's no like differential diagnosis. There's no like let's complete this list of tests and then we'll have the answer. Um, so, and then there's that human element that you don't really necessarily get that in the hospital, right? Yeah. In the hospital, the nurses are pushing meds on them, right? Like literally, like pushing IVs, giving them tablets to take. But in the community, you have to consider that this person doesn't, this person has a terrible memory and doesn't like to take their medication. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or like, this person doesn't get up until 1 p.m. So Guilty. They can't <laughs> so they can't take their morning dose. So it's like, I don't know, that like human piece into like trying to deal with their health is was one of my favorite things and that's what community health showed me and so that was my favorite nursing course. Alright, so community <laughs> health uh, rotation, definitely nursing students make sure you, you get that one. Any other classes or like maybe non-nursing or any professors you like to sound out also? Yeah! Um, so one one class I also took that was my, one of my favorites was at Comparative Health Systems, mm -hmm. which is offered by the nursing, nursing school. Um, basically, you get to pick a country, you go there for two weeks, and at the end of it, depending on where you go and who your professor is, you write like a small essay, if, yeah. if that. We only had to keep a journal and then submit the journal. Um, and so you get to travel to this other country and just like see how their healthcare 
fireworks, see what, um, you know, how they function in the hospital and outside the hospital. Um, Where did you end up going? Oh, I went to Barcelona. Nice. And it was awesome. And, but, like, here's the thing. It's like, it was coursework from, like, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And then 1 p.m. on, it was, like, all travel. Very so, nice. Very, very highly recommend for nursing students. And I wish non-nursing students could do that, too. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, you guys get something for waking up at, at 7 I guess, yeah. <laughs> um, so, aside from your classes, like you mentioned, you have ridiculous class hours. And somehow, you have to do all these extracurricular stuff. And I guess, like, for, you know, some people, you just say, okay, maybe I'll do, like, one extracurricular thing, if that. But you chose to, like, dive headfirst into a ton of different things. Um, so, just, like, a quick list. Like, you did, you were part of the, the KD5 sorority. Um, uh, you were part of Penn Philippine Association, which is how I first met you. Um, you were part of Sukhli Funk. Um, I guess urban arts um, dance group um, as well as also being in a poly facility there so uh, we've talked to Grace before in the previous episode about KD5 um, and we've talked to Varsal and Kristen about the poly um, so let's talk about those quick before we hop into the others um, so what led you to I guess for KD8 off capital the five what led you to um, decide to join a sorority were you planning on joining a sorority when you came to college or what? No definitely not I I did not even like I went to I remember going to rush and then getting like a closed rush bid and then like eventually a bid and I was like what do I do with like what does this mean like I didn't even know that there was like a incoming process or an onboarding process yeah, what, so I, I remember like so so for context for everyone listening so I graduated 2014 Mel 2016 so when I was a junior Mel was a freshman and and obviously like uh, she was an all PPA so I already knew her by that point and when Russ came around in the spring I remember hearing you had only gone to one bus event out of like a week worth of bus event and you still ended up you know pledging eventually yeah. not that you could tell any of us until you were done with it but we all kind of knew but in any case um, uh, yeah. yeah but yeah, what, what led you to like you know go to that one bus event and then decide to like go from there I guess yeah I mean so it really was like uh, it initially was one sister Jonalyn like, yeah Jonalyn Ango she um, she was really, I don't know, she was, she almost made it seem like she needed people to go and that like it'd be really great if I was one of those people to go and then I couldn't make it, I had like on Monday I had like UMC meeting or like Tuesday I had rehearsal, Thursday I had whatever, so I could only make one that week <laughs> and then I, I felt so bad because I was like oh I told her I would go so I have to go to this, at least this one and I had no idea that like you had mandatory attendance at this like general information yeah. meeting and zero idea so I was like let me go just go to this one event it's cupcakes and cake pops like they're free and let me go because I told Lynn I would go and then when I was there I just like had a whole ton of like women who were like leading like all of these groups at one time who were who were succeeding professionally but also like interpersonally and I was like wow like this is like a really solid group of girls like how to like if, if this is what this kind of environment sort of produces and inspires then um, like how do I become a part of it and what really yeah. what really goes into this group and to these individuals that makes them so successful and so um, and successful being like in more ways than one um, so um, I went <laughs> initially for that one sister yeah. and then once I actually went to the restaurant 
and like just being like overwhelmed by the like amount of, of sheer like talent and and I guess like genuineness and like just yeah they were all just like very very incredible and capable people um, and so I was like yeah this is this I could see myself thriving amongst the company of these ladies so eventually and then they went to close the rush events and got to learn them more and that only affirmed my uh, desire to yeah my impression and so I was like okay like yeah I can do this alright cool and then obviously you haven't seen class at the end of that semester yeah um, and then I remember you came to barrio practice in like the <laughs> like, in like a suit basically and we all, we all know we couldn't say anything but it's like okay um, yeah uh, I told him I came from like a presentation was that like yeah uh, alright so then uh, and then obviously you stayed involved all four years you eventually became president of KD5 right um, so what was any like good memories or any like fun stories I guess that you can that you're allowed to share I guess uh, about your time at KD5 um, so this is something particular about president. You get to travel a whole ton for like all of these like national meetings. Okay. Um, and so like I went to Dallas, then Austin, California, Florida, like all just for KD5 because I was chapter um, president. Right. Yeah. And so you have to you have to attend all these meetings. Um, but the best part of traveling was seeing the fire that all the other chapters across the nation had. Um, so we are the first full-fledged chapter in the East Coast, which means we are so far from removed, removed from our founders who had to like work for that status. And so we're like in a sense sort of jaded. So wait, what do you what what, what that explain that a little bit? Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so like there are different levels of chapters okay. based on experience and like when they were founded. So there's like the first level, which is like an associate chapter. Um, they're like the newer ones and the ones that are smaller, uh, less developed. Okay. Um, and then they're oh, sorry. That that's the second level. The first one's colony. That's like the very very new. Okay. One. So then the there are multiple levels. So right. you guys were the full fledged is yeah. like the you know like the they really established themselves. Okay. And, like, and when you say there. founders, you mean the founders of the pen chapter? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm, sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you forget that like all this language is like. No. For, for, <laughs> um. So yeah, we are, that means pen sisters mm -hmm. at some point had to like. Work, work super hard to try and get that status because you have to. It like is like a whole process. So. How many? How long has Katie Five been on Penn's campus? Um, since uh, 1994. Okay, so wow, it's been over 14. Over 30? No, 20 years at this point. Yes. Nearly 30. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, 20th year was 2014. Yeah. So okay. 24. Yeah, almost 25. Wow. <laughs> um. So yeah, we are. Are very far from the which like lends itself to sort of complacency in a way. And so when I was president and I traveled to all of these different chapter uh, like meetings, to see these chapters like working hard and then having this like immense amount of pride in it was always refreshing for me. And I I always try to take that energy and bring it back to the chapter. So um, 
Definitely the traveling was the most fun. Nice. So. All right. Um, and then we'll come back to Katie Fry. I have another question, but that I'll be later on. Um, related. And then you also were a poly facility, and like you know, we've talked before with Barcelona and Princeton. It's like a leadership program to like kind of help upcoming students learn about Asian American identity and um, through like facilitations, basically. So you were a facilitator your senior year. Uh, Alasa, who was your partner? Lawrence. Ah, Lawrence, uh, who also got a salad from Jin in Jin's episode. So, Lawrence, you're sewing up a ton in here. Uh, but anyway, so you, so uh, Lawrence and Mel were facilitators. What were you guys, uh, I've asked Kristen and Barclays, but what were your guys' approach to being facilitators? Um, I would say that our approach was to, to say, like, activate each of our kids' internal energy so that they could further activate in their communities. Um, so we are very conscious of, as most facilitators are, but very conscious of like where individually we felt our kids were, like how comfortable are they with their Asian American identity, how comfortable are they with just themselves as a leader, yeah. um, and then trying to harness that energy and sense of identity to then say like, okay, how can we translate that into action? How can we translate that to um, activating others? So um, I think it was sort of this like, for the first few sessions, like focusing on like them as individuals and then um, sort of teaching them the act of translation over time. Sorry. That's fine. Um, so yeah, I think that was sort of our approach, sort of like this internal, like the strongest sense of outward action is going to come from like a strong internal foundation. And so I think for the most part, we tried to focus on that and then always made up the point to say, so now what do you do with this newfound sense of identity, leadership, XYZ? So. Okay. Um, yeah, so. Uh, what, what, so obviously to be a facility you had to have gone to a poly yourself um, and so being a being a, a participant and being like a facilitator how do you think being involved in a poly influenced your out, outlook on being Asian and Asian American I guess and just your own sense of self and then activating yourself I guess like you said um, so I will say that you actually were the one who told me to apply to a poly <laughs> um, oh, I, I did? yeah I, my freshman spring uh, semester, um, which was the same semester I pledged Katie Pye. <laughs> um, <laughs> and choreographed for Barrio and yeah. everything else. Um, but yeah, I remember you said, I was like, I remember getting like the nomination email. I was like, what the heck is this? And then I was, and you were like, by the way, I nominated you. And I was like, can you like tell me what this is? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, I'm glad I did then. Um, but yeah, so as a participant, you don't really know what to expect. Yeah. Uh, I remember getting thrown into it and I was like, what are these questions I have never ever thought about? Like, why are they asking me these things? Why are they so hard to answer? 
like, why do I feel so uncomfortable right now? Um, but like, it was a necessary uncomfortable, obviously, um, to have to think of ways that you've either ignored your Asian identity or you have purposefully like almost rejected that part of it. Um, like that kind of part sort of hurts, and like I think as a participant, it's just, like you're going through like like this roller coaster of like what is this stuff and then, I think because I went through it as a freshman also yeah. I think it probably contributed to the like shock factor and okay. I was like uh. um, so for me as a participant it was sort of like it sort of felt like I was thrown through the ringer but came out stronger okay. than when I went home um, which I will say is probably different than some other people Okay. because um, some other people do it as softer right, this is all very like a very like personal experience yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, and it really was the first time at Penn where I felt like uninhibited vulnerability I suppose okay um, but like not only did where we was it okay to express yourself in sort of this unfiltered way it was encouraged okay um, so I was like one of the first spaces I felt that um, and as a, a facilitator I was like there was so much pressure because it was, it was such an awesome experience for me as a participant but as a facilitator I was like how the heck am I going to do this with like 14 kids like how like this is not twice a year right yeah like twice like and it made at first I was like this is possible there's no way like um Tiffany Yao who yeah. was my facilitator oh, she, was in, she was in my class yeah yeah, yeah. um she was my facilitator and I was like I'm never going to be as good as Tip um Tim and Aksha um but yeah I was just like how am I like like there's no way I'm gonna be as good as them like I'm gonna forget stuff like I'm not as like charismatic as them like it feels like almost like a bit of imposter syndrome oh yeah oh yeah yeah. and I was like what the heck why did they choose me this is terrible (laughs) um but hopefully it ended up okay for a kid I think think your kids have turned out okay if they turned out like you I think they turned out okay yeah so yeah I think like two or three of our kids went on to become facilitators nice nice alright and then so aside from Apollo and Katie Fi um, you were involved in Strictly Funk and PPA, as I mentioned before. So Strictly Funk is Penn's urban arts dance. Why don't you, why don't you describe it like a little bit more? Sure. I guess. The, the website definition, I think, is like Penn's premier band guard dance group. Yeah. Whatever that means. I don't Avant-garde. know who wrote that. Uh, <laughs> Avant-garde. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. So you know this better than me. <laughs> um, but basically, we are um, a dance group on campus that um, primarily does what we consider like urban dance um, and we have hints of people who do hip hop dance like yeah. they do the locking and the breaking yeah. um, but then we also um, do contemporary dance yeah so it's like a mix of all different kinds of things right yeah yeah so, so. I'm guessing you just wanted to continue your dance uh, from, from high school into college I'm guessing which is why you decided to try to audition that. I did I did yeah. I was going to audition for another group on campus which I'll remain unnamed yeah um, but uh, Kanad Ghosh. Kanad, oh, shout out to Kanad. So Kanad, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Kanad is a uh, former PPA president. So there's like a big, like at least at the time we were at Penn, there was like a pretty big crossover between PPA and, and 
know, Sukli Funk, because yeah. we also had Victor and from 2013. Five. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also APO, but that's another thing. Yeah, anyway, anyway. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Nav Ghosh and Victor Garcia, they grabbed me during the freshman picnic, the PPA yeah. freshman picnic, and were like, you dance? <laughs> Do you want to come to funk audition? <laughs> and I was like, uh, I guess. <laughs> so I think if, it, if I hadn't gone to the freshman picnic, I probably would have been part of a different group. But um, I'm very, very thankful that they did grab me. So, <laughs> so, how, so how is dancing in funk? Although I know uh, people who've been on camp, obviously, we know that funk does like two shows a year, um, once in the fall, once in the spring, that has like a theme, the really well produced, great choreography, obviously. Um, I'm assuming it's kind of a similar thing where there's like just lots of hours of work and audition and prep and practice and, uh, and so on. And somehow you do it with all your nerves and stuff, basically. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but so how, how was being like, in, how is it different being, in, like you alluded to earlier that funk was different than dancing for rhythmology juniors. So what was, how was that different? I think first and foremost, like this, the sense of urgency wasn't really there. Um, the way funk worked, we were scheduled into what pieces we were in and the choreographers just like based on numbers put you where they needed you okay. like on stage and like if you were shorter you were in the front like sort of like necessity so you were in the front a lot weren't you <laughs> either the front or the side because I was yeah I was very very short uh, so um, everything was sort of like given to you at punk um, of course it was hard work learning but in terms of like self motivation things were pretty much given to you um, you knew you were going to be in at least two uh, you knew you were guaranteed at least one of the pieces you wanted to be in versus Rhythmology Juniors if you wanted to be in a piece you had to work at it like, okay. there was like this if there's a really cool choreographer and you wanted to be in their piece like you had to like prove yourself yeah, the hustle okay. yeah you, had to, like, so, you had to work so. so I'm guessing that the difference probably like how did that affect I guess your dancing or your creativity like if you didn't have to worry as much about trying to audition for a piece did it affect your dancing in other ways like give you free up more time to do other stuff or what not more time it gave me a different pathway to think okay um punk is really great because they they're very like experimental almost okay. um and so they really encourage like using the whole stage so for a couple pieces that meant like using the audience or yeah. using the back doors or working with the lighting guys to make sure the sliding like got pulled off so and using props and so like with competition dance you can't really do I mean you can but like there's less room for you to do that but um, well, it's like we expect you to be different and like um, and just like the choreograph choreography just by sheer nature of having the hip-hop and contemporary was very different um, like for the long juniors it's like like very classically urban, urban yeah. arts dance studio. Very isolation, lots of isolation, darkness, and so on. And very choreography heavy. Punk was very like feeling heavy. <laughs> like okay. um, you would go three, four, eight counts of barely moving. You had to show it all in your face. You had to show it all in the quality of your movement. Like there wasn't much choreographed movement, and so like everything else you had to do on your own. So. Um, like, Funk has taught me sort of like the freedom of movement and like 
I think that they definitely taught me like two different ways to move, which yeah. was really, really cool because I thought with the long shoes, I was like, ah, same old, same old, but I got to the top and I was like, I can't do this. Like, what do you mean I have to roll on the floor and like split my legs? Like, nope, I can't do that. But then at the end of the four years, you're like, oh, you know what, this feels normal. Like, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think because I didn't have to focus on uh, audition for a piece or being in the front or whatever, like, yeah. I got to focus on, like, all this other, like, I guess, like, all of the other creative elements that go into dancing, so, okay. um, yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a different experience, but I, one that I would not have traded for. For sure. I, so, like, I did video on stuff, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, and I never could film your guys' stuff, because you always already had a videographer, <laughs> but I was able to always, like, for maybe, like, you guys had a guest performance at, like, another show I was doing, or, like, um, like, the M. Sachs show, I would do that, or, like, F. Pan, I would do, like, that, that one, and I was always, like, blown away whenever I was able to film your guys, and one of them, like, always was super great. Um, and then, obviously, saving the best for last, you also went PPA with me, <laughs> so the Pan Philippine Association, so I meant, um, you're the first PPA alum who I've interviewed here, so I mean, it's, we know, like, we have such, like, a common, I guess, language about a lot, a lot of things, but I guess for, like, the audience listening, like, PPA is basically just, like, the Filipino, Filipino-American cultural group. So, uh, I'm really interested. What's your perspective on like cultural groups at Penn specifically? Right? Like, what's their role? Do you think on campus? Because I have my ideas, but then obviously you have yours. What, 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 what's your take on them? And what are they meant to do on campus? I guess. Um, I think they're really great as like affinity solidarity groups. Mm -hmm. I think that they're like you're right. Like having common language, and I'm not talking like Filipino or Tagalog. Right, or, like, but it's like like. like like what you mentioned, like line dancing or right, whatever, yeah, right? line dancing. You know what bless means, like yeah. yes. So like other people, they know what bless means, but like for us, it means something different. So, I mean, like it's really great to not have to explain yourself or not explain, not have to explain why you feel like different in a different situation. Or um, I think, I think it lessens the labor of explaining yourself. Like being in these cultural groups, it lessens that. Like you don't have to explain what adobo is or you don't have to explain what sinigang is like uh, or like what top symbol like you know like you don't yeah. have to explain that kind of well, thing. I have to explain like top symbol like, to explain okay top, top is papa right so like yeah like I said I think it lessens that like labor of, of listing and like okay. you know explaining yourself um, so I do think they're super valuable in that though there's a caveat and I think that um, sometimes it can be too insulating or too in group right. um, and almost too exclusive and so I think like I think you just have to be careful about like being a part of something greater does not mean that's the only thing you're a part of um, yeah because I think I think a lot of people when they come out of Penn they're like yeah I spent a lot of time in like the Asian American community or in the cultural groups which is not a bad thing right. um, but I think um, the outside perspective of people who are in those cultural groups are like oh they like the Asian clubs basically. yeah yeah like oh okay like and then the 
like magnitude of the work that we're doing and the like severity with which we're taking is like um, so I think that they're really really valuable but I also think that we have to challenge ourselves when we are in those cultural groups to, to say like hey we are also part of the greater peg community and it's like how can I leverage my participation in this cultural group to like let people know that like for example like disaggregating higher education information right. like that kind of stuff right. even, like, <laughs> even stuff like like obviously like we have a lot of internal PPA traditions like Halo Halloween or it's like it, at, the, at my first video it was like an internal like alright we'll just have it like within us as a social mixer yeah. in Halloween and then I think at some point it got changed to like an external event yeah. um, which now it's okay we're sharing our culture with the rest of Penn as opposed to just keeping it for ourselves right so that's like I think one, one, one thing like that um, do you have any like I guess fun stories or memories from PPA that you have specifically um, obviously okay so like for everyone listening Barrio is like a big cultural so which happens every spring Mel and I have both been cultural chairs for that so um, so I guess Barrio aside like this you know stuff that people not in PPA or who only know PPA tendentially would not know I guess um, I really liked um, like the Ate Kuya program mm -hmm. so Ate Kuya for those who don't know what that means um, so Ate is big sister in Tagalog and Kuya is uh, big brother and at, at PPA what that looks like is like a mentorship program between like an upperclassman and a freshman usually um, and then you know that mentorship that mentor pair like goes on it's like they go through college so um, and you develop like lineages basically right yeah you develop lineages you get really close to out there Kuya um, and so I really liked it because it was like oh like there's someone who cares about me that's older like it's usually I think there's this fear that like oh older people aren't gonna care or like uh, like I'm just a measly freshman and it, it made me feel like I was welcome on campus and it made me feel like I had someone to like ask all these questions and who's your ate again? Jill Santos oh, okay <laughs> and I was gonna say uh, Jill Santos um, and then Joanne Nantia and yeah. then Tony Gatalian they're all nursing yeah. Um, nursing, so that was also helpful, but I think, you know, just having someone to be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, what's, like, what are all these words people are saying? Like, what's ASEA? What's, like, what's APSC? Like, all that kind of stuff. Like, they were just, like, a really great resource. resource. And we would have, like, dinners, and it was very cute. And so, like, that was definitely one of my favorite things. Yeah, definitely. And, like, uh, it extends past college, like, um, it extends past college, we just, like, keep up with them afterwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I actually work on the same floor as Joanne now. <laughs> nice. Um, Alright, so one question, I alluded to this earlier, so you were involved in PPA from your freshman, you were a freshman liaison when you came in, and then you were on board for a couple of years. Yeah. And then I remember, so after I had left, um, I remember it came to a point where it was around the elections, I know like KD5 and PPA elections were around the same time. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember it was like, there was like this question in PPA, like who's going to become president, because we knew you were interested in being KD5 president, and but we wanted you to be like PPA president. He had been like the old, like the one who had been 
in golf for so long. Um, and obviously, you know, KD5 president, like, that was your choice, and I think that's like a good choice that you made, and obviously PPA has, you know, been fine without the U.S. president, um, but I, that that's a super interesting, like, I guess, situation for any Penn student um, who's been involved in multiple things for so long. Like, at some point, like, like having to almost choose, but you don't really want to choose, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's less of a choice and less of, it's more of like a, a faith leap, I okay. would say. Um, I had known that whether or not I was, so for me it felt like whether or not I was PPA president or not, like the organization felt like, like they were interested participants who would carry on the work of PPA. Even if it wasn't, even if you weren't on board with right, that, even right? if it wasn't me, um, and in particular, I think I, um, I just had like a lot of faith in those who were interested in rap. So like okay. I, because I had talks with them, okay, um, and I was like. Um, and like I just, I had every bit of confidence in them to lead PPA the way that they said they would and how they wanted to see it. Um, and whereas I came high on the other hand, it was like, there's also this issue of who's going to be president, but also this like, everyone I talked to who was eligible was like, oh, I don't really want to do it, I'll do it if I have to. Right. And that scared me. So um, ultimately that's why I, I I suppose I decided between the two, it's, and it's, it's less of a which do I like more, which is where will my time be better spent more, like these organizations, like where are my services best or most needed. Um, and that's sort of how I made hey, my it, it kind of goes with this idea, like you mentioned earlier, of humility, right? It's like, it's like it's not my prerogative. It's like who needs me more, right? Yeah, yeah. and I, yeah, and I mean, like, I think it's, yeah, like to be like this presidency would be of more utility to me than the other. It would would have been a weird process for me to go through yeah. because I would be like, that's weird. Like right. these organizations are so much more, so much more worth someone using it as a vehicle towards something yeah. that like make my decision based on the longevity of the organizations not on like I like this group better or yeah. like this is going to look better on my resume right. blog yeah. whatever so um, yeah I would say like it was more like a leap of faith more than like a choice no that's fair enough um, <laughs> I hope that question wasn't too weird no. uh, it's like it's like I definitely I've, I've been through that same experience yeah. Anyway, so one question is uh, before we head off to like what you do. A couple questions before we head off to your time after Penn. Um, how do you describe so like the kind of atmosphere on campus, either at large or specifically within the APA community? Like you know, because part of this podcast we want to like, have is almost like an oral history of what life on campus was like. So how do you describe campus and the APA community on campus over your four years? Like, did it, how did it change, or what was it like? What were like some defining moments? I feel would be like a good question. Um, I think the atmosphere on campus changes with the degree of involvement you have with the APA community. Yeah. When I first joined, I thought it was the 
was sort of like fun, like all we do is fun programs, share food, and yeah. that's it. And like, that was it to me, but I think, and I don't know exactly, but as I went through, it became much more um, based in like activism, I guess. Okay, yeah, I, I noticed that like, well, like in my time at Penn, I noticed that like there was some activism, but it wasn't like the forefront, and then it was like progress, right? And then after I left, like when your your upperclassmen years, it definitely like it, it ramped up from there. Yeah. So yeah, I had this yeah similar experience. My freshman sophomore year, mostly programs, mostly food, mostly like socials, yeah. mixers with like boards, and then my junior and senior year is much more like let's go back to the history of Patch. Like why is this even here? And I think that came maybe with the reopening of it, honestly. Okay. Um, but yeah, the reopening of it. Because we had been like a temporary space while they were renovating the arch building. Right, yeah. Um, being facilitator and saying like, and being like, we're going to make it a point to like, translate this, like, identifying into action. Um, in addition to like, current events. Yeah. Essentially, like, I think just like, there's just been this sense of like, we need to act or else no one else will. Um, and there's a sense of like, like almost like this question of like, it's not a matter of like if this is going to happen or if we're going to speak up to ourselves. It's a matter of when it happens. Okay. So it's not an option anymore. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. not an right. Like it seems very like there's an immediacy to it that I hadn't noticed before, which is awesome. And like you have all these new groups forming and all these new like initiatives forming, and like so I think it went from sort of like culture sharing and programs to this like we need to work together to like make our voices heard and like and like I've just like like I said I can't really identify if that was because I became facilitator or because there's something at large on campus right yeah or if there's something at large could have been you know like I think it was a mixture of everything where it's like this like shift from like we function as cultural groups but as the same as other student groups on campus to we are so the emphasis was on the group earlier and it feels like toward my upper class years a focus then became on like we are cultural groups and we are distinct and, and our place on campus is unique and necessary yeah, fair enough um, alright since we're getting sort on time let's move to the next one um, and then uh, what legacy do you think you've had um, like what impact and legacy do you think you've had on campus uh, <laughs> Tough question, I know, but... I mean, I don't know. I think my hope is that I've, I've less, left a sense of um, sort of like a, um, this need to increase the volume of your own voice. Like, I think throughout all of my like involvements, I have always been like a proponent of you need to talk about this and your voice is so so important that like everyone needs to listen to you and you have to acknowledge that and like this sort of like um, yeah 
I think I was just like a big proponent of, of vocalization um, and, and for everyone to believe, not only think, but believe that their their voice is important. Um, yeah, I think like that's the one common thing that I've had throughout all of my, my involvements was that like I made sure that people that there was like an equity of volume um, amongst all these people. So my hope is that that's sort of like left with the rest of um, the people that I interact with who are younger than me is that like there is value in even the smallest of thought. Like I think I think that's what I tried to do. I tried to convince the people that I interacted with that like every part of your thoughts and every part of your opinions matters and, and my hope is that you take that and treat other people with that same mindset. So no, I think I think I think I've seen that from people <laughs> who come after you. Um, um, yeah, so Alright, so we'll have we'll on over to like we did post spend. So your involvement with Penn did not end with your graduation. Um, so um, it, was, it was a pleasant email to, to receive that to see that you had received the presidential engagement prize or PEP, I guess as you sometimes refer to it. Uh, so what is what is that and how and what 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 exactly were how what what is that basically? Sure. <laughs> um, so the president's engagement prize for PEP um, is was a grant created by Amy Gutman, the president of Penn, to encourage, uh, I think what she calls global, global citizenship. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's basically taking what you've learned and experienced in college and turning it into some type of good for uh, the greater humanity. Okay. That's what's on the certificate. Yeah. <laughs> um, something like that. All right. Um, so basically it's a $100,000 grant given to three undergraduate with seniors for a social impact project. Okay, cool. And then your project was? Yep. Um, so my project was to bring health education and health services to vulnerable populations at the Free Library of Philadelphia. Which ties back to your community. Right. <laughs> Which makes a lot of sense. Um, it all ties together. Right. Um, and so basically what my past year looked like, um, I on a daily basis, I was do health screenings and health education for um, either people who couldn't afford health insurance. I uh, interacted with a lot of people experiencing homelessness, uh, veterans, people returning from incarceration, um, sort of all the people who get left between the cracks. Yeah. Um, that's who I was doing like health education and health screenings for. And then I would also to in a, like in working with the whole library system, like helping refer them to the necessary like appointments and and basically breaking down any barriers to access that I could. So transportation, um, if they didn't have a 
phone to call and make an appointment. Because all this like this like lateral problem solving you were talking yeah. about before. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Uh, so what inspired you to like apply to this? And how did you apply to this? I guess as opposed to say you know I know most nurses will after they graduate you know take their boards find the hospital for work and then you know start working at, like in the play in the hospital. Right. So what led you to type to decide to do this over you know anything else? Yeah. Um, it was just something I was like, this needs to be done. Like, if, if I'm not going to do this, like, it's going to happen. It has to happen some way or another because the fact that all of these vulnerable populations are hanging out in this library, like, and not getting the help that they need or not even knowing that they need that kind of help, it was just like, I like needed, like, something needed to be done. And so, um, I don't know. To me, it just seemed like <laughs> the right thing to do. Right? Yeah, like I just—I don't know. <laughs> I, I really, there was just something in me when I—it came from like the community health experiences that I had, and like I had interacted with a couple of people on a weekly basis. I saw that in them, and I was like, "This is crazy!" Like, if I wasn't a nursing student in this library, this person would literally not know where to go, not know what to do. Like, so it was. It was it was just insane to me that that kind of service didn't exist. Um, and I, the hospitals will always be there. Like, they'll always be there, they'll always be nurses. And so, like, I knew that, like, like the hospital wasn't on my priorities because it was like. You'll get to it eventually. Yeah, like, yeah, I'll get there eventually, which I did. And, but, like, no one is going to speak up for these people who have no idea where to go if they need help. So it kind of goes back to your point about like vocalize and maximize the, the right. vocalization. Yeah, yeah. And so I think like that sort of left outside of Penn, like it, it also applies to like my work in the community because yeah, I think it's there is like I forgot where I heard this, but there's like uh, potential in people is spread out equally, but like like opportunity to access is not right like yeah, it's, it's like this crazy differential in how people can get access to different opportunities and so there's something that just like doesn't sit right with me and so that's why like this presentation part I was like yeah this makes a lot of sense and the hospital is always going to be there and like this this can't wait because there are people dying because they don't have access to this kind of thing whereas hospitals are always there like and they always have enough nurses like well staffing is a different issue but there's always like always a Right. So what was the application process like, I guess? Um, so basically it's like this five page grant. Okay. Single have page. You ever, have you ever done any grants before? No. No. <laughs> Definitely not. They're no. Uh, everything, the whole process was extremely novel to me. Um, it's like this five page uh, grant. Um, pretty straightforward and then you had to write the budget for like a full budget for the project um, and then there was an interview and then we found out it was pretty straightforward it was like almost applying for like like jobs like a consulting job you like submit an application make 
maybe write an essay or two, go through the interview, and then you hear back. So if you, if somebody has an idea for you know a program, I would you recommend that they apply? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think I think people underestimate what Amy G thinks as impactful. Mm -hmm. I think some people undersell them and then second guess themselves. But I think if anyone has an idea out there, that it can and should be acted upon. All right. So that was you know you've been out of college for almost two years at this point. Yeah. I know. Well, wait, I'm four years, so whatever. <laughs> but um, and so you, you've obviously gone through at least at least one year of this PEP program, and like you mentioned, alluded to, you've gone back to working in the hospital. You work at HUP now, the Hospital of UPenn. Yes. So you're still in the Penn system. You're never going to escape. Nope. Yes, um, but you're still. You, before the interview, you mentioned that PEP is still kind of going on, like on the side, right? So why don't you describe that a little bit? Sure. So working at HUP is really great because I have three days on, four days off. Okay. Um, and those three days are grueling, but it's nice to have those four days off. Okay. On my days, I'll help do some sort of like off-site work with okay. the project. So we hired a part-time nurse to take my place at the library okay. and to work with the library system. Um, but I sort of like just I provide guidance. I meet with him on a regular basis, um, and I do all the like logistical stuff. Which right. Is not all the business stuff that you thought you left behind in high right. school. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's right. Um, yeah. So all the budget stuff, all the finance stuff, I do still. Um, so um, I am doing the project on the side, and I think eventually the goal is to get it to be adopted by a bigger system, either like a health system or the, like turn it into part of like the UPenn health system, maybe. Right. UPenn or like um, there's like something called the Family Practice Council Network, so like a primary care network system, okay. or if like ideal idealist sort of quote unquote sell the idea to the city. Um, Philadelphia's Department of Health okay. because the free library is a city agency and so the idea is to establish necessity for the program to say like this is going to save you lots of money in the long run you should hire a nurse and put them in your life. Right. So if anyone, anyone, any pendulum who are working in the city, city system uh, get a hold of Mel yeah. uh, this, could, this could help you guys out. Uh, <laughs> cool. Um, so you know two questions before we go to like wrapping it up. Um, how do you think your pen obviously like I said you're kind of tied to the pen system now doing a lot of ways but how has your pen experience kind of influenced uh, we kind of touched on here and there like how certain activities kind of influence things you did later on but overall how do you think the pen experience has influenced your life and your journey thus far I guess um, pen does an excellent job at changing your way of thinking mm -hmm. I think like because if I had not gone to pen I would not have considered all of these like um, external factors that affect both health but also affect inter intrapersonal like behaviors and um, pen is, is pen for me fosters like this uh, I don't know like this like almost like kindness and urgency all at once like things need to get done but also to approach it with um deliberateness and, and openness, so sort of this like, um, Che I think uses this, um, compassionate inquiry, he was one of my, uh, <laughs> uh, one of the facilitators during this season, but 
I think that it puts it very, very well. Um, that like pen, pen pushes you to question, but also pushes you to question with um, not blind, like to have all the information and to to be socially and factually aware of things before you question them. So um, yeah, so I think I think pen has taught me that. Through the pet grant, through the nurse's school, through the hospital. I'm going back to school in the fall. So. I, I was going to ask, like, what's, what's, what's your plan from here? So, what, what are you going back to school for? Um, I'm going back to school to become a family nurse practitioner. Okay, uh, nice, congrats. So, you'll be at Penn for many more years. Forever. Uh, okay, so wrapping things up. All right, some rapid fire questions that I ask everyone on the show. Uh, all right, uh, what's something that's making you happy right now? My dog, oh. Jado. <laughs> Tell us about tell us about Jada. Oh, okay. I thought these were like yeah. the, okay. Um, he is a border collie Australian puppy. Um, he helps me get up in the morning when I'm feeling too down or too tired to get up. I have to get up and walk him, uh, and I end up feeling great afterwards. So he is he is a godsend, and I'm very very thankful for him, even though he's sometimes dumb oh. and silly. You can't have everything, but I can't wait to meet him. Huh? Yeah. Um, all right. There are two kinds of pendulum in this world. <laughs> um, I'm gonna be those who go into consulting and don't. Okay, fair enough. Um, what advice do you have for your high school self about your pen journey? Uh, this is a thinly veiled question to just advice for current students or anyone about to go to pen. Um, be patient with yourself. Be patient with pen and be patient with others. Okay. Um, what's your biggest regret uh, regarding Penn, you know, maybe something that you hadn't done that you wish you had done or vice versa? I wish I had taken more classes for the sake of taking classes. What, um, what classes do you, what, what do you think you would have taken? Uh? Um, the negotiations class student might be fun. All right. Um, there's a miming class. Oh, wow. Um, there was a history of hip hop class that I really wanted oh, to really? take. Oh, I didn't know that one. Uh, mm -hmm. okay. It's new, it's fairly new. Okay. Um, I never took an ASM class, which is awesome. I know, same here. Yeah, so sorry, okay. sorry, Asin, guys. Sorry. Um, so yeah, just taking my classes. All right, cool. What's a question I did not ask you that you wish I had asked you? Um, <laughs> um, and I feel like this would be fun to ask you. Um, if not at ten, where would you be? Okay, if not at ten, where would you be? Oh, um, I think I would be. I would still be in Jersey, I think, and I'd still be content, um, but in a um, there's bliss and ignorance kind of content. Well, we're glad that you came to Penn in the end. I'm glad you came to Penn, uh, Miss Melanie. Hi. Okay, so before we go, uh, anyone you like to shout out? Um, a lot of people shout out their parents, you can shout them out, but anyone else you know, you like to shout out as well? Yeah. Um, so I'd like to shout out my parents. I'd also like to shout out uh, Jin Kim. I know I didn't mention him at all during yeah. this thing. And he's our, sec our second episode guest. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he's like a really solid like friend toward the end of undergrad. Him and Lawrence Weaver. Um, yeah, solid, solid friends. Alright, anyone else? Um, and probably Timothy Lee. Um, 
He's currently my partner and has been for the past two years. Oh, sweet. Has been very, very supportive. All right. Well, shout out to him and everyone else. Um, where can people follow you or get in touch with you or do you have any projects you want to like push or whatever? Sure. Um, I have an Instagram. It's Mel A. Mari. <laughs> um, underscore. That's my Instagram and Twitter handle. Um, if you want, they want to email me, they can email me at melanieasmariano at gmail. All right, cool. I'll definitely include those in the show notes. Um, this ran a little bit long, but thank you so much, Mel. Uh, it's been great uh, catching up with you, getting your perspective from the one who came after me. So, you know, it's always great. Uh, hopefully, you can meet up again in the future. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, and thank you. You're doing such great work. It's so important. Like, I love these things. All right. Well, you have to listen to yourself in a couple of weeks. So. All right. All right. All right. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. And that's a wrap. Thanks again to our guests for coming on the show and taking time out of the schedule to share their story and their wisdom. And thanks to you for listening. The show wouldn't be here without your support. Uh, you can subscribe and look at the show notes for the show, including the contact information for our guests at iTunes, the Google Play Store, or upanpodcast.podbean.com. Thanks again to Fortissimo for our, for our intro and outro music. You can follow him on SoundCloud and Facebook. Editing and production was provided by Ninsboy Media. Special thanks to the Pan Asian American Community House and Alumni Relations. A quick reminder, the views and, the, and opinions expressed on this show are those of those appearing on the podcast alone and do not reflect those of the University of Pennsylvania. If you have any questions or feedback, please follow up with us at upanpodcast at gmail.com or at our Facebook page. Till next time, this is your host, Paul Bautista, signing off. Remember, keep it funky, folks. Bye.